Hello, and welcome to the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. This podcast is produced for care partners and caregivers of loved ones with Parkinson's disease. This show is brought to you by Dr. Kloss's new book, You Are a Better Parkinson's Disease Caregiver Than You Think. Please visit tvcaring.com for more information. Thank you for joining the PD Caring Podcast today. Our guest today is Tiffany Turner, a board-certified specialist in swallowing through the American Board of Swallowing Disorders, one of a handful of specialists with this type of specialty in the Oklahoma, Kansas, and Arkansas region. Tiffany graduated with honors from Oklahoma State University with a Master of Science and Bachelor of Science degrees. And she is certified through the American Speech Language Hearing Association, where she has received numerous awards. In fact, uh, she received the Next Gen Under 30 Award received in 2017, recognizing her for exceptional professional drive and service to her community. She and her husband, Eric Turner, founded the Swallowing and Neurological Rehabilitation Regional Clinic in 2014 here in Oklahoma, and she continues to fill a need to help patients with speech and swallowing disorders. She teaches continuing education courses, and she has published several clinical resources utilized by speech language pathologists worldwide. So we are very fortunate to have Tiffany on the podcast today to share some of her expertise on swallowing disorders as it relates to Parkinson's disease. As a care partner or a caregiver for a loved one with Parkinson's disease, it's important that we are able to recognize problems that may develop throughout the course of Parkinson's disease that may lead our loved one into difficulties with swallowing and therefore put them at risk of other complications. So Tiffany's going to share with us some ways that we can help monitor our loved one, how we can recognize if our loved one needs prompt medical attention. And Tiffany's also going to share with us some therapies that are available for swallowing disorders that many of us may not be aware even exist. So I think you're going to enjoy today's podcast. Thank you for listening in on the interview that I had with Tiffany Turner. Tiffany, I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. I want to start with a question regarding, uh, as caregivers, you know, we're looking at our loved ones with Parkinson's disease, and can you tell us what happens uh, to swallow function for our loved ones due to the Parkinson's disease itself? So over time, we start to see reduced movement of the swallowing muscles, similar to what we see in other larger muscles that we more commonly think of. So I think caregivers think of seeing weakness in the arms and legs and those types of things, but we don't tend to think about the swallowing muscles as much, but they can be affected in that same way. So normally we have lots of tiny little muscles in our throat that work and sync together and cause the food and liquid to go down the right way when we swallow. 
So we have two tubes there in our throat, the esophagus that leads to the stomach and the trachea that leads to our lungs. And all of those muscles have to work together to close off that airway and push all of the food down the right way into the esophagus. And so over time, as we start to see reduced movement of those muscles, along with the other physical symptoms that we see, we can have problems with those muscles in our throat as well. So some of the things we can see are that that's not closing off in time. So we can get a little bit of food or liquid kind of starting to go the wrong way, which might cause us to cough or clear our throat. That's our body's protective mechanism to keep that out of our lungs. Or we sometimes see things just sticking, what we call residue, because we don't have the strength of those muscles anymore to push things down into that esophagus. They can just kind of sit there in our throat. And then later when we're just talking or breathing, it can kind of fall into our airway after the fact as well. So really those muscles can have reduced movement and weakness just like other muscles in our body. But similar to other larger muscles, they can also be exercised and strengthened as well. So it's just important to be aware of those symptoms and and start some exercises at the first sign of those troubles. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And, you know, I think we often think about swallowing problems occurring at a later stage of Parkinson's disease, but we know that swallowing difficulties can occur really at any stage of Parkinson's mm-hmm. disease. So if we look at some of those um, early signs, can you tell us about what are some of those early signs a patient may experience or, or report to the caregiver that they're yes. now starting to have these problems? Yeah, definitely. That's a great point. Swallowing is often one of the earlier things, and sometimes it's more subtle, and the patients themselves sometimes have loss of sensation. So sometimes they're not aware of things sticking or kind of going the wrong way, even though it can be an earlier sign. And sometimes they are, but it can present a little bit differently. Um, So for those who do have good sensation, meaning those nerves are responding to that. So if they start to swallow and a little bit starts to go the wrong way, I mentioned that protective cough. So they would feel that there on the vocal cords and they would slam together to try and cough and eject that out. So sometimes an early sign is coughing or clearing the throat. So the person may take a bite or a drink and then they're just kind of clearing their throat frequently during meals. That can be an early sign. Um, If things are sticking, they may be swallowing, you know, multiple times per bite to clear. They might swallow something and a little bit sticks. So they're having to swallow a few times. So as a caregiver, the sign of that would be increased meal durations. So sometimes it might take them much longer to eat a meal and they don't necessarily realize it, but it's because they're swallowing so many times per bite and that efficiency has gone down. And so sometimes in that case, we can see weight loss as well and nutrition issues because if it's taking an hour, you know, to eat a meal due to that, sometimes we just get fatigued and tired of eating before we get full. So weight loss can be an issue as well. And those increased meal times, coughing, clearing the throat. And again, you know, voice and swallowing work together as well. Those vocal cords are the door to the airway there. And so they close off to protect our airway when we swallow. And then, of course, they're also what produce our voice. And so sometimes voice is one of the earlier symptoms, kind of that weak, breathy voice. 
And oftentimes when voice is affected, there can be some early swallowing issues as well, since it's the same muscles involved in both. So that's kind of another thing the caregiver can monitor for is those voice changes, which is usually difficulty projecting the voice. Um, and then again, remembering that sometimes there are no overt symptoms. So they may be having a little bit of things going the wrong way and not necessarily have that good sensation and that cough reflex. So if we're getting repeated pneumonia or having any kind of chronic respiratory problems and we don't know the cause of that, it might be good to assess swallowing as well to rule that out as a cause. Oh, those are great points and, and so many valuable um, signs for us caregivers to look for. Uh, those are great points. And, you know, as a caregiver, we might get into the trap of thinking that, well, they're just eating um, slowly. The meal's taking longer mm-hmm. just because they're slow from having Parkinson's disease. Or um, they may be, you know, having some of those signs because of the illness itself, but not necessarily recognizing that, oh, this could be a swallowing problem. Um, right. As you say, so. Exactly. And another one I I wanted to mention, I forgot to mention, is drooling is another early sign. Um, Sometimes, you know, normally we all swallow hundreds of times throughout the day, just dry swallows to help keep our saliva at bay and keep it from accumulating in our throat and building up. But as we first start to have trouble swallowing, we don't produce as many dry swallows throughout the day. So we can have extra saliva kind of building up in the throat. And then that paired with those lip muscles, that lip seal starting to weaken a little bit can cause some slight drooling in some of our patients with Parkinson's. And sometimes that's one of the earlier things that they notice even before they really notice anything else because they're starting to have less dry swallows and kind of notice an issue with that. So it can be another early sign that it might be time to look at swallowing as well. Very good. Very good. So so let's say... Um, the the patient and, and the caregiver just are, are not very aware of what's going on with the swallowing function and they just, you know, go through the course and, and are not addressing the swallowing problems. Um, what, what could ultimately happen to the patient that we need to know about with Parkinson's? Yeah, so some of the risks of untreated swallowing issues, um, kind of the ones we've been talking about, you know, weight loss, malnutrition, of course, are big issues that can happen because sometimes what happens is the person just ends up eating less because it's difficult and it's fatiguing and takes them longer. So they can end up losing weight or having nutrition issues. Dehydration is another um, common one because sometimes liquids are what gives people trouble the most at first because they move so quickly and can just kind of shoot back before those muscles are ready to direct it the right way. And so liquids can be hard. So some people end up, you know, just kind of subconsciously drinking less because it is hard and they can get dehydrated. And then, of course, the the biggest risk of things that can happen is, you know, respiratory complications. So over time, if we're chronically getting lots of food or liquid and things in our lungs, that can cause pneumonia and other serious respiratory problems, which again, it's it's mostly that's happening chronically. You know, we all aspirate occasionally if we're talking and eating and drinking and have a little something go the wrong way. And our lungs can absorb a little bit of foreign material that way on occasion. But if it's chronic and it's an ongoing issue, 
we can have pneumonia and other serious problems that can result from that. But again, thankfully, there are usually strategies and things we can implement to help prevent that from happening if we can catch it in time. Great, great. And, you know, we do know that the leading cause of death in Parkinson's disease is due to aspiration pneumonia from mm-hmm. these swallowing disorders. So very important to to be aware of this. And and I want to shift now to because you and your staff do such a great job here in Oklahoma evaluating our patients for swallowing problems and and then treating it as well. And I think many may not be aware of the fact that um, a speech pathologist is really the appropriate specialist to evaluate swallowing problems. Um, many, mm-hmm. many may not make that connection. But so how do you evaluate swallow function in the clinic? Yeah, that's a great question. And you're absolutely right. We we surprise people all the time and that we do work with swallowing. But again, it's those same muscles involved in voice and swallowing. And so we treat both of those. And the testing we do for swallowing is a swallow study. And there are two main types of swallow studies. I'll kind of touch just briefly on both of those because depending on who's listening, your loved ones may have had one or the other. Um, the, the type that's done in the hospital typically is called a modified barium swallow study. So that's an x-ray type of test done by a speech pathologist along with the radiologist. And it's using just the typical x-ray equipment that they use there in the hospital for other tests as well. But for this test, they're having the patient swallow barium, so liquid barium, as well as food that's coated with barium so that they can see it on the screen. And the patient swallows those things, and on the screen, they're able to, you know, watch it going down, so see if anything is going the wrong way, make sure it's going the right way. You can see if any residue is sticking anywhere and kind of see how those muscles are moving. Um, Then the other main type of swallow study in our field is an endoscopic swallow study. And so this is the type we do in our office at my clinic. So this is using a small nasal endoscope, which is similar to what an ENT Um, would use if any of you have experienced that or familiar with that. So it's a small nasal wire that has a camera and a light on the end. And so it's threaded through the nasal passage about just three inches back and kind of aimed down there where we can see the throat and see those actual structures that we're needing to look at. So we're getting kind of a a real-time view inside there. And on that test, the patient swallows food and liquid. And in this case, they don't have barium because we're looking just directly at the muscles. And so they're swallowing food and liquid, and we can kind of have that aerial view and see if anything's going the wrong way, make sure it's all clearing into the esophagus. We can see those vocal cords that I was talking about, make sure they're closing all the way, and see, again, where residue is sticking, that type of thing. So both of those tests give the same, more or less, the same information, but they're important because they allow us not only to you know, say yes or no, this person's aspirating or they have a swallowing problem, but it's also how we determine the best treatment. So we use those tests to determine what strategies can help that person. So for example, I talked about liquids moving faster. If someone takes a drink on either of those tests and we see, you know, the drink just shoots back and goes the wrong way into their airway, maybe before those vocal cords have closed. So they didn't have time to close it off and it just went back the wrong way. That would be aspiration of the liquids. Then we might try another drink and say, okay, take another drink, but this time, 
you know, tuck your chin while you swallow it and we'll see if that helps. And so then they may take another drink and that time we see that oh, doing that helped to protect their airway before the liquid got back there. Um, or we may have them try something called a three second prep where they take a drink, hold it a couple seconds in their mouth to give those throat muscles more time to close off and then have the liquid go back. So there are different things we try if we see a problem so that we can identify the safest way for them to eat and drink at home to prevent those problems. Very good. Very good. And, and so I'm curious, um, as a caregiver, if my loved one comes in to have one of these tests, um, do we need to anticipate that they're going to need a driver? Do they need to be sedated? Or is this just done as an outpatient Procedure. Yeah, good question. Not at all. So there's no type of numbing that's used or anything like that and because we don't want anything numb. We want everything moving well while they're swallowing and eating. So, And it sounds more invasive than it is. It always <laughs> sounds scary, but it's really it's a small wire that's just going in that lower nasal turbinate. It's just a wide open space that it leads back to in our mouth right behind that uvula that hangs down. So it's kind of aimed down there where we can see those throat muscles, but we're we're far above them. We're not anywhere in that area. So it's not very far back, and we just use a gel lubricant. And so it's quick and easy, and you don't feel anything once the test is done. And so we do have a lot of patients who drive themselves in, um, and, of course, we have patients who are brought in, but yeah, there are no, no lasting effects or anything. So either way is fine on that. But we do encourage patients, too, to bring in things that are – particularly hard for them. So sometimes, you know, there's a certain pill that they say gets stuck or certain foods that give them trouble and we'll encourage them to bring that on the test so that we can see exactly what's happening with that and where it's sticking and again, try some strategies and try and kind of figure out what's happening with those problem foods as well. Perfect. Perfect. And so it sounds like it's painless and, and an important thing to do. Uh, I'm curious too, um, when a patient comes in, you know, they could perform differently, I would think, uh, depending on whether their dopamine medication's working and they're on uh, versus being in an off state. Uh, so do you want them to be on? Do you want their medications working when you evaluate the swallow or would you want to see them when the medicine is not working? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say whatever they're normally doing for meals at home is typically what we want to see. And that is a good point. There is a lot of fluctuation for some people, even with fatigue. You know, they may have a lot more trouble swallowing in the evening than they do in the morning or that kind of thing. And of course, we're just seeing a snippet in time, but we can at least get a general idea of how everything's moving and identify some areas of weakness for exercise and that type of thing. But with medications, we always want them to do what they would typically do. So we do have some patients who, you know, will take their their dopamine meds about 30 minutes before a meal to help them. So what they feel like it helps their swallowing. And so we would want them to do what they would normally do. We might try and time the exam around that time that they would normally take it if they prefer that. So we're flexible in that, but really we just want to see what they're doing at home to kind of get the best idea we can of their typical swallowing situation, if that makes sense. Very good. Very good. And so before we start talking about some of the treatment options, I, I just have a few more questions about the diagnostic side. Um, yeah. So when um, you're looking and evaluating their swallow function, 
are you able sometimes to see something that would alert you that maybe this is just not solely from Parkinson's, maybe uh, this is some other gastrointestinal issue that we might need to um, have this patient go see a GI specialist. Uh, yeah, instance. definitely. Yes. And so, it, you know, when we talk about speech pathologists treating swallowing, we assess and treat the pharyngeal phase of swallowing, which is the throat area that we've been talking about. So from the mouth kind of down to the throat where the food or liquid starts to go in that esophagus, the tube leading to the stomach. But from there on down is GI territory, and there's a lot of overlap there. So we do see a lot of patients who you know, have trouble at the pharyngeal phase that we're treating, but then there's also trouble down below that upper esophageal sphincter, or sometimes it's purely a problem down there. And we are the ones that see the patient first because some of that can look similar symptom-wise. So on the tests that we do, sometimes we see, as I mentioned, we're looking there from above at the two, the two tubes in the throat. So our trachea, that airway is normally open when we're just breathing and at rest. But when we swallow, it briefly closes off to prevent anything from going in there. And that back tube, the esophagus, is the opposite. It's normally closed and it opens when we swallow to let the food in. Um, but on our test, sometimes we see that either it's not quite opening all the way. And so food or liquid can kind of sit on top of that sphincter and not it's not being pushed down through there properly. Or sometimes we see bubbling back up. So sometimes on our test, the swallow looks good. Everything moves like it should. The food and liquid clears through that sphincter. But then, you know, a couple minutes later or near the next trial, things start bubbling back up through that upper esophageal sphincter back into the throat, which can be a sign of reflux or sometimes even narrowing or stenosis down below in the esophagus can cause things to kind of stick above that point and get pushed back up as well. So any kind of bubbling or anything with that area that could suggest, you know, a GI component, we always refer to GI to assess below that point. And sometimes even, you know, again, the symptoms can be similar. Um, there's something called a globus sensation, which is just kind of the feeling of something sticking in the throat or the patient kind of feeling a lump in their throat. And a lot of times that's due to something down below in the esophagus, but patients feel like it's up high in their throat. So that whole esophagus is controlled by one nerve, and so it's hard for patients to differentiate where things are sticking. So they might have swallowed a pill, for example, and it did go into the esophagus, but it's kind of hanging up there on its way down to the stomach. But patients will point a lot of times up high to their throat and say, oh, it's still right here. I feel it right here. But on our test, it's not there. It has went into the esophagus. But that's where that that sensation is sometimes a sign of motility issues and that type of thing. So we do refer to GI a lot, actually. Okay. And so it sounds like really a a good place to start really would be coming to see you um, so that we can look at those issues that would be more common with Parkinson's. But then you would also be able to identify a swallow problem that could uh, warrant more investigations from the GI team. So this probably would be a good starting point, it sounds like. Yeah, and we have it both ways. We get referrals from GI and we refer to them a lot because it really is so common for there to be some overlap there in a lot of patients. Okay. Now, you talked earlier a little bit about some of the compensation strategies that you teach, the chin tuck Mm -hmm. and, and of course, 
We can always modify uh, the consistency of the liquids. We can modify the diet. But I want to talk a little bit about you do actual swallow therapy. And, and I think many patients and caregivers have never heard of swallow therapy. Uh, can you tell us about the swallow therapy and how it's used? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, there are kind of different levels and parts to therapy. So in the initial stages of Parkinson's, so we would hope that we would get to see these patients before they're having severe swallowing trouble. And kind of similar to our other physical muscles, we can do exercises to keep those muscles stronger for longer. And so we want to keep everything moving well. And there are different exercises for swallowing that the patient can do to help keep everything stronger. And if they are having some swallowing problems, but they're more mild, again, on that swallow study, we can identify which muscles aren't moving like they should. And there are different individualized exercises for that. Um, there are also other options like e-stem that can be appropriate for some patients depending on severity and, um, you know, cognition. Sometimes it's hard for some patients to do exercises, whereas some of our patients, you know, do very well with home exercises. So we may only see them a time or two and we do assessments and we give them a list of some swallowing and typically swallowing and voice exercises that they can do at home on their own and just follow up with us periodically. But then there are some patients who um, have a hard time doing those on their own and or maybe their swallowing is more severe. And so they may come in for more regular treatment and do something like e-stem, for example, which is where we're placing electrodes over certain structures there, depending in that person what we're wanting to target. And that e-stem acts as a sort of resistance. So if we were to put an electrode on our thumb, for example, um, it has two points. So there would be one on our thumb and the palm of our hand. And then if we turn the e-stem device on, it would move our thumb in toward our palm. It would contract that muscle. And so on our throat, it does the same thing. It's pulling on those muscles, providing resistance. So while the electrodes are on and the e-stem is on, we have the patient swallowing. So they're swallowing against that resistance, which can build strength in those muscles over time. So that's kind of a more passive approach of exercise for some people who have difficulty doing traditional exercises, because with that, they're able to just eat and swallow with that on with us kind of guiding them through that. And there are a lot of other um, things as well, such as biofeedback. So we're able to also use electrodes just for the purpose of biofeedback without emitting any e-stem so that we can um, – me, so that we can see how they're performing the exercises. So we're able to put electrodes on and have a graph on our computer screen and have them do different exercises. And we can make sure that they're performing them correctly to kind of train them and how to do them at home and just a lot of different options depending on um, on what they need. But there are exercises that can help all those muscles along with the postural you know, things that you mentioned. And sometimes we need a combination of both. You know, sometimes they may need strategies that they're using at home to help keep them safe during meals. But then we're also working on exercises each day to try and strengthen those muscles as well. So it's often a combination there. Very good. So the e-stem sounds like weightlifting for the swallow muscles. Uh -huh. <laughs> it sense. is. Yeah, that's what we tell patients. You know, do you do better exercising at home or coming into the gym? <laughs> right. 
Right. And it's not painful, is it? The no, it's not painful. It's just kind of a tingly feeling. You know, you feel it there, but it isn't painful. Okay. Okay. Very good. And, you know, there was a study years ago that looked at um, speech therapy for Parkinson's patients um, versus a group of patients that were not receiving speech therapy. And they looked at ultimately the the incidence of um, aspiration pneumonia or swallowing um, complications from Parkinson's disease. And they found that the group that was receiving, you know, speech therapy over time had a dramatically lower incidence of swallowing problems. So are you finding too that that doing speech therapy is strengthening and helping the swallowing muscles as well? Mm-hmm, definitely. And there are, and that's where, again, I talk a lot about the overlap between voice and swallowing, but it's it's just those exact same muscles in both. And typically our patients, you know, whose voice stays stronger for longer, also they maintain their swallowing you know, better and for longer as well. And a lot of the specific voice programs like LSVT loud and those have known benefits for swallowing as well. So any type of strengthening for the vocal cords and swallowing muscles really does help maintain things for longer. And it's not like the person is just coming into therapy forever, but like I mentioned, it's more of, you know, sometimes we might do more intensive in the clinic therapy Um, where they're coming in more regularly just at first for a few weeks. And then we try and set our patients up with a home program of things that they can just keep doing indefinitely to maintain that strength on their own. And I think there's just really value to the patients and the caregivers kind of understanding that and knowing things that they can do at home um, on a daily basis to help keep everything stronger for longer. Great. And Tiffany, you've been so generous with your time today, and I I just so appreciate all of the information you're giving us. So in in kind of a closing question, would you give us any other advice um, for care partners or uh, caregivers of a loved one with Parkinson's disease that we can take? Yeah, being a caregiver is such a challenging role, and I just really admire all of you guys and what you do. We really get to know our patients and their spouses and kids and other caregivers so well. And I just have so much respect for what all you guys do. But I think really it's just so important to make sure, you know, that you're taking care of yourselves and also getting plugged into all of these resources like this podcast and support groups and being able just to connect with other people through the different Parkinson's organizations. And I think just having that knowledge of, things that you can look for and that you can do, you know, the different medical professionals are experts in their specific niche, but you guys are the expert in that individual that you're caring for. And so anytime you notice that anything isn't quite right or that you see any changes, you know, getting them in earlier, because we know that with swallowing and a lot of these other things, getting treatment earlier yields a lot better results than waiting until the problem is severe. So I think just having these types of resources and staying aware of of all these different informational things so that you know what to look for and can report those and just be their best advocate is really important. But you guys all have an important job and it's, it's very hard, I know. And so I think having the support aspect is helpful for caregivers as well. That's wonderful advice. Uh, thank you, Tiffany. And I, I know that you're, you're so busy and, and, and taking such wonderful care of our, our patients here in Oklahoma and, 
and then you're also giving your time. Uh, you recently, uh, you were one of the presentations at the Midwest Parkinson's Congress uh, for the American Parkinson's Disease Association last month, and uh, we really appreciate all that you do to help advocate for patients and, and all the teaching that you do as well. And, and again, thank you for being on our podcast today and sharing some of your valuable insights to swallowing disorders that we can really learn some great tips today. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining the Parkinson's Disease Caring Podcast. Please visit pdcaring.com for more information. And remember, you are a better Parkinson's disease caregiver than you think.